It is a joy being with you, especially opening the Old Testament, because then you desire to get into the Old Testament, but you escape back into the New Testament again and again. The challenge is to keep you in the Old, just like our Lord did, and also the Apostle Paul. But in order to help us with the challenge, we are going to talk about not Old Testament or New Testament. We're going to talk about a two Testament Bible. In other words, the one feeds into the other. It is not that one step, let's say Old Testament, is inferior. And then you take another step, you come to the New Testament, and you go all the way up to the book of Revelation. And you say, now I have it. We have to come to the point where the issue is not grasping facts, where the issue is not one of interpretation. All too often, we start with interpretation. Take a look at the heading that we have for this afternoon. Seeking the reality of the living God in the living word. Yes, the Old Testament. Yes, the book of Psalms. What we need today is to talk about the reality of God. Not just to talk about it, but that people can see the reality of God in you. In that you have seen the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old and in the New Testament. So the challenge that we have then this afternoon is to seek the reality of God as he's revealed in Jesus Christ in the Old Testament as well. Because Christ is the living word who has given us the living word, both old and new. So what we seek to do this afternoon, if I can get to the next slide, I think we may be stuck. There we go. Notice the three parts. Some of you will be there for the first two parts, and others will also be there for the third part. First of all, to see the reality of the living God, first session. Second, to enter the metaphorical world of the text. Many of us have a difficulty with that. In other words, the very concept that Christ is the word is a metaphor. How is God a word? And what we have to see is that there is a whole metaphorical world that's offered to us that most of the time we bypass. Thirdly, that we learn to indwell the Psalms, indwell Scripture. We may be able to preach so many sermons, but the trouble is we are not living in the text. We go from text to text. Let me give you an analogy. It's very easy for me to get a souvenir from this area. So when people are asking, oh, you have been in Michigan, I can say, yeah, look, here's a souvenir. That does not represent living in Michigan. But that's also the trouble that many times we as pastors, we're not living in the word. We go from one text to another text to another text. And so when we have the reality of God, first lecture, and secondly, when we then are able to enter into the metaphorical world of the text, and then thirdly, where we are able to look at a text and we live in the text very much like this particular part of the building has a certain architecture. This is unlike other parts. So when you spend some time in one part, then you go into another part and another part and another part. You learn to get to know the building. So the book of Psalms, as you know, has five books. Five levels, as it were, of understanding. And there are 150 psalms with introductory psalms and concluding psalms. Most of us don't know the structure of the text. So this is what happens. I left my iPhone in there, but if I were to take my iPhone, I would take a picture of you and say, look, this is the man's conference. It is not the men's conference. It is a picture of the conference. What we find in the Psalms is there are many pictures we can take. But what we have to learn to do is to be able to walk through the Psalms. Go from one Psalm to another and to another. And we can see the connections between the Psalms. So that's what we are going to try to do all in three hours. 
where does all this lead to? The whole of the Old Testament and the New Testament leads to the reality. That's Jesus Christ. So that the Old Testament is not real without Christ. The New Testament is not real without Christ. The witness of both old and new is to point to the reality that God has given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And many pastors are just screwed up in terms of the relationship between old and new. But what we have to see is that we as Christians are Christians who hold to a two testament Bible. And that Christ is the one who holds these two testaments together. And we have to stop talking about the Old Testament over against the New Testament as to how superior the New Testament is. Let me make this point very clear. John has great insights, but his insights are nothing unless Christ had given him the insights. So who is greater, John or Jesus? Of course, Jesus. He's God himself. But all too often we say, but John says it so beautifully. Well, so also does Isaiah. Each person is to be recognized in terms of the time and the revelation that that person received. And all too often we want to have the answer, the key. We want to have the code. And as pastors, we are not given the code because the code is Jesus Christ. And to know Jesus Christ is to know the fullness of God. And we'll never come to that point. So all of us remain learners. In my case, I've been then teaching 40-some years, and I'm still a learner. In some of your cases, you have been preaching for 20, 30 years, and you're also still a learner. And we will continue to learn throughout eternity. I hope that we don't come to the point of not learning anymore. Because to be a human being is to be a learner. And if we stop learning, we have become God. And we don't want to get there. So the reality is Jesus Christ. Borsma has written a beautiful volume that I encourage you to get when you are ready to go into this topic. It is Seeing Christ. He does it from the perspective of a theologian and a church historian where the church has always wanted to see Christ, to see Christ. So notice what he says, the beatific vision in its perpetual gaze on God in Christ centers like nothing else on enjoying him. If you can come to that point of preaching a message and every message where people catch the sense that you have been enjoying the revelation of God in Jesus Christ, churches will be transformed. In the secular age, we have become secularized. We think less about God. And instead, this whole lecture is going to be, we need to think more about God. So what do we find Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6? Namely, God who has made light in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, he has made that light shine into our hearts, So that we then have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Wow, that is big, my brothers, to begin to see that the light of God is shown through the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so your question may be, but in the Old Testament, we don't have the Lord Jesus Christ. We have it only since Christ has come. True. But tell me, who... Is was God in the Old Testament. Who was the God of the Old Testament? The Father? Or the Trinity? Of course the Trinity, right? God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always been and will always be a triune deity. And so as we read the Old Testament, see that this is the work of God, the triune God, who has revealed and ultimately The light of the glory of God in the Old Testament already with Moses, with Israel, and now in Jesus Christ. Look as to what Paul says in chapter 4, verse 4 of 2 Corinthians. uh, uh, That Christ is the image of God. He is the reality. If you want to know what God looks like, God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, in the incarnate Jesus Christ. 
the flesh and blood Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 and let's go to verse 17. Christ is before all things and in him all things hold together from the very beginning. So we cannot just have this kind of a docetic understanding that Christ appeared in some way in the Old Testament, but now he has really appeared as the incarnate Christ. No, the incarnate Christ is the Christ of the Old Testament as well. So all too often we have a problem with the Old Testament because we have a problem with theology. And so our interpretation goes in the wrong direction. Briefly, this is the argument for the first hour. Don't start with interpretation. You have beautiful commentaries on the Romans and on the Psalms, etc., etc. No, first of all, who is God? Come to the point of, in every text, rediscovering who God is. Secondly, once you enter into the world of God, and you begin to see that God is three in one, and that this God who is three in one has given us natural revelation and also special revelation and that special revelation has come to us in two ways namely what we can call the old testament and the new testament as one bible that means there is diversity of interpretation and that's the point of hermeneutics how do you understand the text and then finally when we are squared away that we are trinitarians and that our search is for god then secondly, we're much more open to diversity of views. Then thirdly, we can come to interpretation. And all of us have changed in our interpretation. So at one point you might have said, this is what the Bible says. Later on you discover you cut only a half-truth or a quarter of a truth. There's more, much more that the Bible says. Billy Graham can say, the Bible says... But I don't have this kind of a power that Billy Graham has. So for me, interpretation is within the context of understanding who God is. And that permits me to have a diverse interpretation from others and to tolerate other interpretations because all of us are apprehending something of the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. And so that in brief is going to be the argument this afternoon. Now, take a look as to how the New Testament continues. In Revelation 21, there was no temple because God and the Lamb are the temple. And we often insist, what about the temple? What about the temple? But John already has told us the temple is found in Jesus Christ. It is found in the church. But what about the millennial temple? Secondary, my friends. There are so many things that we make primary that scripture makes secondary. The focus has to be on who God is. Who is God in terms of the Lord Jesus Christ? Look at Revelation 21 verse 23. There was no need to have a sun or moon because the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. What a magnificent vision. So the very first point that I want to establish is this. Christ is the reality. All we see is shadows, both in Old and the New Testament. Shadows that point to the reality that is in Jesus Christ. But who of us has received the fullness of that reality? We have not. So as pastors, we are witnessing to that. But all too often we say, my interpretation is the interpretation. Don't listen to other people because I give you the truth. And in a year, you change. You say, my perception of the truth was not quite accurate. And so let us just realize the rock bottom is God himself. That is our foundation. God has revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us then two Testament Bible. And we have to realize that as we interpret and come to the nitty gritty, we hold on to the reality of God in Jesus Christ. We hold on to the Two Testament Bible, where a person can say, Isaiah says this, and another person says, but Paul says that. How do you bring it together? And that is just the joy that we have to interpret. Pastor Jeff has had a training in interpretation as a lawyer. 
And what we would say is very clear what the law says. Lawyers will argue about it. And all you have to do is listen to CNN, and you will have plenty of evidence as to the problem of interpretation. Pastors, what we need is humility. And so that is then the tenor of my discussion this afternoon. How do we find Christ in the Psalms? It seems as if Christ is very rare in the Psalms. Well, the early church dealt with this matter. So you have Christians who knew the whole book of Psalms and sang the whole book of Psalms in a whole day, all 150 Psalms. They knew the Psalms. It was the custom for every pastor to be able to recite the book of Psalms. Slowly we have deviated from that. But Gregory, one of the great Trinitarian theologians, he made it very clear that the book of Psalms helped him to find Christ. And so he asked the question, how do you develop the mind of Christ? Answer, read, if not sing, the book of Psalms. Notice then that Gregory aimed to attain the blessedness of the Christian life, the vision of God through Christ in us. And Christ then is hewn into us through the Psalms. He speaks about five stages. One, they start climbing a mountain. And there's the delight in Christ. As you read Psalm 1, Psalm 2, Psalm 3, you're climbing a mountain as a way in which you can see yourself then, seeing that the same path that you're walking is the path that Christ walked when he was on earth. He knew the Psalms, and as you know, he loved Deuteronomy, he loved Isaiah, he loved the Psalms. He lived out of these books. That's what we are talking about in the third lecture, namely how to indwell the scriptures secondly he said it is then that you develop a thirst for god and for christ likeness you think about psalm 42 and then psalm 84 where the psalmists are hungering and thirsting uh, for god what about us as pastors we're hungering and thirsting to get another uh, sermon preached but what about the hungering and the thirsting for god Third, where there's a sense then where God opens up a vista of life. Namely, he opens up doors, windows that you have not seen before. And you will find yourself transformed. Now, this comes out of the fourth century. You might say, what does that have to do with me? Well, because we have developed in very unique directions. We have lost the touch of the ancient church. The church that has given us the doctrine of the Trinity. The church that loved God and we have programs instead. Because after all, our programs are so fascinating. They fail this year, but next year's program is going to be so much better. And the issue is not one of programs. The issue is really of God. That is at the very center of our ministry. Fourth then, there, there is the union with God that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ where we experience a sense of cleansing and purity, that we can talk about cleansing and purity or discipleship. But the real issue is one of having Christ as the very center and where we follow Christ through Scripture in that Christ has helped us understand the Scriptures. Fifth, where there is a restoration of the soul taking place. They can say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And when the people pick that up from you, they are able to touch as it were the Lord Jesus Christ. So you embody, you incarnate the Lord Jesus Christ, as I have to too. We are weak, we fail, and we are frail. We all know that. But what happens in the life of a person who's walked with Christ for 20, 30, 40 years? All too often, we know some Bible. We have some certain techniques. But do we know God? That is really the central question. So Augustine, another one of these great theologians, again a fourth century theologian, has written extensively again on the Trinity. And I put before you 
please return to the doctrine of the Trinity. In my seminary days, which was a very fine seminary, Westminster Seminary, we hardly talked about the Trinity. It was just assumed. But this is the core of the gospel. Christ spoke again and again about the Father. And he spoke about himself as being the creator of life. And that there is no life except in him. So you have then two persons. He also spoke about the importance of the Holy Spirit. And all too often, we have certain people, the charismatics, who will embrace then the Holy Spirit. And most of us just embrace God. But so do Muslims. So do Jews. How are we different? We are Trinitarian. So for Augustine, he could not understand the Trinity except through the book of Psalms. Notice, he lived his entire life in the context of the Psalms. And all of his thinking is shaped by the book of Psalms. It's hard to think about it, that the book of Psalms shaped a great theologian like Augustine. But that is the problem, my friends. We are illiterate as pastors too. We don't have this kind of a background that was possible 100 or 200 years ago. There are pastors who would faithfully preach through the scriptures and through the doctrines, helping God's people to be established. Most of us do not come from a confessional church, and so people don't really know what it means to have a confession that makes sense, where pieces fit together. And so I just ask you, preach the word, but preach it in such a way that you don't give people still pictures. Let them see a movie so that you are able to lead them from Psalm 1 to Psalm 2, Psalm 3. And there is a script that you begin to understand, as we'll try to exemplify that during today and tomorrow. So what about Anselm? Now we are around the year 1000. Anselm wrestled with the doctrine of the atonement. But for him, the real issue was truth. God is true. We are in the image of God, and we are not true. And all too often we forget we are in the image of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so notice what he says then in his prayer in the middle section. I do not seek to understand so that I can believe. Very important. But I believe so I may understand. All of us begin with faith. But then the problem is we begin with faith, but we don't increase in our understanding. We need to increase in our understanding. I work with young people over the summer. Uh, they meet then uh, in my gardens with a youth pastor. And one of the things that I emphasize to them, young men, have questions, have questions. Most of us have no questions. But Gregory of Nyssa had questions. Augustine had questions. Anselm had questions. Luther had questions. Calvin had questions, right? Encourage your people to have questions. There's nothing wrong with a young person saying to you, Pastor, I have a hard time believing in God. Why should I believe in God? To give a very simple answer, to believe in God gives you a foundation for understanding the world in which you're living. Without God, you have no foundation. You can roll whichever way. And that is exactly what Anselm said. I believe in you so that I may begin to understand. So you have these expressions, and I encourage you, see your calling as a pastor, as one to lead people into the very presence of God. Let me put it strongly. I don't mind being a little abrasive. It is better for people not to make a professional faith if they walk away from that than to have questions. Let me put it in a different way. It's better for young people to have questions than to have answers. Because when they have questions, and the question is, who is God? And you say, of course, you know who God is. He is the creator of the world. Is it all? Have we finished talking about who God is? In other words, let's put it this way. 
how long would it take for people to sit with you if they were to ask this question, who is God? Most of us are finished in five minutes. And what about five hours, five days, five months, eternity? We will never explore who God is, even in eternity. Because to know who God is fully is to be God, right? So you have this kind of an attitude in the history of the church. People want to seek who God is. What about Warfield, a theologian who just about a hundred years ago wrote an essay on the Trinity as a biblical doctrine. He spoke about the importance of a Two Testament Bible. So for one, he said that without an understanding of the Trinity, you cannot make sense out of your Bible. Did you see that? Namely, more thoroughly into the meaning of Scripture through the doctrine of the Trinity, which is not extra-biblical, which doesn't just come out of the early church. No, it is biblical. Christ spoke about the Father. He spoke about himself as the Son. He spoke about the Holy Spirit. So this is, according to Warfield, the theologian, the only biblical doctrine explicitly taught in Scripture. Now, notice next. He says that the Old Testament is like a dark chamber, dimly lit. But when the light comes on, everything essential is there. We see the beauty of the Old Testament. Oh, sure, I don't want to go back to the Old Testament as a way of life. Because that really was a provisional, as we'll talk about it. But nevertheless, the provisional leads into the reality. Very similar to having a baby conceived. The baby is a provisional human being. Once born, we can see that child. And there's a reality there. And so what we have to see is that God in his providence has given us the reality closer and closer and closer in preparation for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice then as to how he continues. The Old Testament revelation of God is not corrected by the full revelation which follows it but only perfected, extended, enlarged. And the, the reason why I want to emphasize it is that most of you love to go back to Philippians. How many of you want to spend time dealing with Kohelet or Ecclesiastes? One sermon, two sermons maybe, and most of your people are going to be satiated very quickly. And then you have two messages on Isaiah. Why is it only two messages? Because we don't understand the word. We don't understand the two testament Bible. So we go back to Philippians because people say, now I understand. And when you go back to the book of Leviticus, they say, I get lost. And so what we have to see is that all the reality that we have in Christ is already there in the Old Testament. In that it is God's word, it's Christ's word that has come to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all too often, let me put it also strongly, we deny the verbal and full inspiration of God's word by our preaching. Why is it then that people pick up the Old Testament is inferior? Because all kinds of ways in which we speak about God of the Old Testament was this wrathful God. But in Christ we have seen the love of God. There are all these generalizations that are hanging around the church. And we don't look at the reality of the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Look at the left column, provisional. The Old Testament is provisional. I'll not go through it, but you have the provisional creation. At the end, you have the new creation. Provisional covenant through Moses, the new covenant in Jesus Christ. The provisional kingdom with David and the new kingdom in Jesus Christ. So the Old Testament is clearly provisional. It's clearly temporary. But the reality of the Old Testament is that it leads and feeds to the New Testament and our understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we don't understand the Old Testament background, the provisional nature, or for some people, they make the provisional the reality. We cannot go there. We find that the reality is in Jesus Christ. So may I make this point clearly? The reality is not the New Testament. Did you hear it? It's Jesus Christ. He is the reality. 
and otherwise we get messed up because we make all kinds of distinctions between old and new. Then we start saying, as some people have done, but we're going to have the kingdom of God established in the millennial age. And they focus everything on the millennial age. No, the reality is Jesus Christ, not the millennial age. For some, they say, but the reality is the Jewish people. No, that is not it. It is the people of God. One people out of many nations, you see. So all too often we want to have a stopgap. The reality is here, there, there. But the New Testament witness is the light is Jesus Christ. So the point that we have here, and I'm winding down ready for your questions. We have a little summary and then think already about questions. I love questions. They don't bother me. In other words, don't start with interpretation. So when somebody comes to you, but pastor, what about Psalm 27, verse 6? Let's, let me check. And, oh, let me check a commentary. That should not be the way, my brothers. But rather, we come back to who God is. So what kind of a God do we find in Psalm 27? Not just one verse, but a whole of that psalm. Not just that psalm, also Psalms 26 and 28 that are around it. And ultimately, you come very quickly back to Psalm 23. We cannot do that. Why? Because we have still pictures, black and white pictures. And we just atomistically say, okay, this is what verse 6 says. Stop that. What does Psalm 27 say about God? That is the real issue. So what we need then is the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. That gives me a sense of having solidity, the reality of Jesus Christ. And to begin then to understand God's word in relationship to Jesus Christ from beginning to end. So what have we tried to say in the last oh, 40 minutes or so? We need to seek the reality of God in Jesus Christ. That we all know, but we don't practice it. So Christ is the final word of the Father. Christ is the word of the Father, both old and new. And what God wants us to do is to look at the Lord Jesus Christ, not to be able to say Christ has a sense. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the creator. But begin to have a sense of the early church of a beatific vision. How do we put the pieces together? Can you really see the beauty of Christ? Or are you just talking about pieces of Christ? So the early church had a very high view of God. They wanted to have a vision of God. Now, what happens then, in the case of Gregory of Nyssa, yes, is five steps. Think about these steps. Delight yourself in Christ. Thirst for God, meaning of life, purity, restoration. There is a program, my friends. It's just one program. But we have our own programs of discipleship. And all too often, these are our programs. Pardon me. You know I'm Dutch. And so I have enjoyed being in different countries. And I know America because I've lived 57 years in this country. And that is more than some of you have lived since the point you were born. And what we do is we have a cultural Christianity. It does not work. Young people are walking away. And I give them every right to walk away. Because we are saying, just do a little bit more Bible study. A little bit more uh, prayer. They don't see God in you. They don't see Christ in you. And that is the reality that they are looking for. And then to begin to say, very much like what you find Anson saying, Lord, help me to understand just a little bit of your truth. That's humility. Just a little bit of your truth. And if he can just, in a lifetime, apprehend just a little bit of the light that is in the gospel. What you have then is there's a purity. There is a restoration. There you say, this is the purpose for which I have come into this world. It's magnificent. One more slide. To enjoy God. 
that you really are theological. In my years of teaching, I all the time have tried to connect Old and New Testament, biblical studies and theology, because systematic theology does not have then the sense of ownership of who God is. God cannot be controlled by the systematic theologians as he cannot be controlled by the biblical theologians. We apprehend something of who God is. So we are growing then. And what we do is we receive God in faith. We are become students of the Trinity where we just love to think about the relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Magnificent. And that we want to see then that the triune God is to be found in a two testament Bible. You can very easily test yourself by saying, what are the distinctions between Old and New Testament? And all of a sudden you rattle it off. Old Testament, but the New Testament, wrong approach. What God has done in the Old Testament has validity. It doesn't give us the thick ice that we have in the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, the contours are there. And as then a movie person, you begin to see that the old moves into the new. And that there is one director. And who is that director, anyone? Triune God or the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one director. And everything is connected to that one director whether you speak about the Trinity or about the Lord Jesus Christ as the Word of God. And it changes your preaching from the very beginning. I'm ready for any kind of questions. We still have nine minutes before the break. Yes. Right. Right. Okay, so what we have is the triune God that explains both unity and diversity from the very outset. Now, we as human beings don't like diversity. We want everything to be unified. So we look at space and we see that everything is unified. Oh, yeah? And all of a sudden we begin to realize there is so much variety in space. So that is what the scientists are exploring. They even talk about not just the universe, but multiverses. No problem with me. Why? Because God is not only all-powerful, but he thrives on diversity. Look at creation that we see here, where flowers are coming up. In my own yard, you have then the daffodils, and you have the tulips. And I have a whole scene before me in terms of the order that is going to take place where every year there's a certain order, and yet there is diversity. So this year it has been wetter than usual, and God just loves diversity. What about the storms? doesn't make any sense to me to have hurricanes and tornadoes and to see that people are blown out of this life because of that. And some way or another it hangs together. So in other words, God is one, but at the same time, we cannot apprehend the fullness of the counsel of God. Now, when it comes into Scripture, I want to have one interpretation. But one text pushes me, another text pushes me in a different direction, another text. And that means that I'm going to be seeking God rather than my simplicity. Because all too often we love simplicity. And in a sense, anyone has anyone studied 
any of the sciences. So what do you learn in science? To be ready for the unexplainable. There are always these mysteries that the scientist deals with. And instead of pushing them away or doing as if you have an answer to it, you have to be in awe. So Einstein wrote something like this in the year 1937. What is a miracle is that the whole universe is comprehensible. In other words, there are basic rules that work anywhere in the universe. Tell me of something that did not quite work. That's light. The traditional Newtonian understanding of light did not work because we have to realize that in space, light is different. And so the joy that scientists have is to explore with all things that don't make sense. And we can do the same thing. So I encourage us to become students of not the word. Ultimately, the word is a witness to who God is. That permits me to have commentaries where you may have 10 different opinions on a particular phrase. doesn't bother me. So I have held, let's say, view A, and I'm more persuaded now to argue for view D. But I'm going to be cautious in affirming that because I know I am changing my mind and I may change it again. You see? Perfectly fine. But it's the pastors who are so insistent that they own the truth that lead our young people away from the gospel. Is that clear? Yes, yeah. Yeah. So the standard form that you mentioned, we open to the diversity. Right. That's right. Right. Yes. Uh, subjectivity is not looking for reasons. I want to have commentaries that give me reasons. And commentaries that shake my foundations from time to time. Where I have to question preciously held views. So let me give you one that immediately you, I know how many of you will react. What about the age of the earth? Wow! That was a big one, a grenade. I'm not going to answer that question, but there is, on the one hand, some evidence that would lead to for in favor of a young earth. There is a lot of evidence that goes the other way. What do you do? Do you have to resolve it? No. That's exactly the wonder of Augustine. He does not want to resolve it. He says, as far as God is concerned, he could have created everything in a split second. Age is not important. Warfield, same thing. He says... It's not the antiquity of the human race. It's the unity of the human race that is important in Genesis. Do you see? So you can then take a ball that's thrown to you, and you can say, now how am I going to respond to it? And you can have a soft kick. That means that you take it seriously. You just don't let it go. And I think it really helps you to stand your ground, but at the same time you know if more evidence comes in, you're ready to change. What about scientists? They do the same thing. So we can have a cherished view, and all of a sudden we realize the data are too complex. That's right. Precisely. It has to be adjusted. That's right. There was a hand somewhere. I think he was first, and then you'll... <laughs> and the apologetic that that is in, in our society today with young people. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so how do we uh, rightly follow passages like uh, that say that we rightly handle the word of truth? Right. Yes. Be precise to try to understand and consider the interpretation of a passage in its context. What is the, the historical natural interpretation in which Right. Right. 
Okay, what we do with that text, we read a lot of stuff into it. We do as if post-modernity is out, modernity is in. Modernity led us ultimately to recognize that the God of the Old Testament has no power. Because we cannot recreate history. We cannot really link God with historical events. So you have the radical criticism that has likewise affected the very moorings of our church's teaching. What Paul is talking about is not a particular interpretation, but that the tradition, the apostolic tradition, is being maintained. The connections between old and new that our Lord Jesus Christ has helped us to understand. That we are able to teach, as he says clearly to Timothy, we are able to teach the word. What we do now, we have particular interpretations that we give people. And say, unless you hold to this interpretation, you're not handling the word of God rightly. What are the purposes of the word of God according to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17? It is to be able to teach us, to discipline us, so that the man of God may be perfect or mature in every good word. Now, what we do is, unless you hold to my interpretation of this text, you are not doing that. But we have to see, the big contour is in terms of God, and the horizons we provide and receive from God. So that early church had then the rule of faith. The rule of faith was essentially that the teaching of the Old and the New Testament were harmonious. That is, they had a Two Testament Bible. But many times people have spoken about handling the word right. And keep in mind, I come from Moody Bible Institute somewhere in my history. Uh, At that time, uh, Ryrie had just come out with uh, dispensationalism today. And he wanted to modify it away from the small things to the big picture. Namely that everything is for the glory of God. And yet people have continued to argue in terms of when the rapture will take place, how the rapture will take place. In the big scheme of things, my brother, that is not important. It's in Christ's hands. I have no control over that. Will there be a rapture? No question about it. But I don't know the timing. And that is my problem. I want to have a code that gives me that insight. So if I tell people, this is what will be happening. Like when I was growing up, there was a delightful uh, older couple that uh, helped me to understand dispensationalism. They had a chart, and I copied that chart. And I loved it, but it made very clearly the point. The fact that we have the USSR now is an indication we are very close to the end because the Antichrist is here. God and Magog are here. Well, what has happened then around the year 1991 with the dissolution of the USSR? Now people are saying it must be the Arabs, the Muslims. This doesn't help us. Are you with me? Right. 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 Yeah. Right. Stick with me the second lecture and the third lecture, I will be responding to your question. And so it will happen. Any other? You had a question. Um, well, I think it sounds like, you could correct me, you're saying, it sounds like what I'm hearing you say is that we're not going to learn unless we approach this stuff with humility. Mm-hmm, right. approach it always with humility. Precisely. But then uh, underneath all that, it seems like a foundation is I hearing the language of the unified Old Testament New Testament overview. Um, uh, but I also hear 
what sounds to me almost like a presupposition or a natural revelation about the nature of God as the foundation. Um, is, am I correct? No, it is the biblical teaching on who God is, that he's triune. That is foundational. But we only apprehend a very small percentage of that. And yet, we are invited to look at every text from that angle. Not just what does the text say about X, Y, and Z, but first, what does it say about our God? Is that clear? Core Trinitarian. And all too often we make major issues out of small things. And we need to come back to who God is. And that means for evangelicals, we have to permit diversity to take place as well. Christ spoke about the unity of the church. But that permits us to have a Peter and, and a Paul. There's diversity. And early church had to wrestle with that. Well, I think we have gone backwards, I'm afraid. Anyone else? Yeah, one more, and then we'll have a break. Yes? So we're talking about the intersection as far as the Right, precisely. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. We have many different interpretations, and all too often people. Uh, rule each other out of the kingdom or in the kingdom based upon the view. Good. Stick with me. Uh, let me just say this. I've had many doctoral students. There are some 50 that are teaching in different parts of the world, Old Testament. And uh, generally it took them a couple of years to really begin to put the pieces together. And so I don't expect to spend here a couple of hours and all of a sudden you say, ah, that's it. No, it, I just need to get a couple of major things across. And then we can kind of mull on that. And maybe another year we can meet together again and you say, now I'm beginning to understand. Uh, I received an email from somebody a couple of weeks ago whom I had not seen for about 40 years, 45 years. And he said, you know, I went back. He went to Israel and he sent, uh, said, I went back to my notes. And wow. Everything made sense. 45 years later. <laughs> so anyway, that is the thing. Let's have a break.